Hey. Hey. Yo. So thank you so much for coming today. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I really, really, really like people, and I like this stuff so much. You know, it's hard to travel away from your family. Some of you, many of you might know that I'm a five-month-old now, little Misha at home. It's funny, I feel like you're catching one of the last great tours of my career, because yesterday when I landed in Portland, I was like, huh, I really miss her this time. This is, gonna, this is not gonna last forever. I'm not gonna be able to continue to do this. So, um, I'm really, really humbled and honored you guys are here. You know, it's funny, I really, one of the things I, I say in this book is that everything is better than zero when you're building a business. I really hope that you guys all get the chance in your lives to feel the way I feel right now. To have this many people show up in an afternoon in, in a state far away from where you live and, and care about what you do and, and believe in your message is very humbling. It really, really is. And I, I don't take it for granted. I, I think a lot of my success comes in the fact that I email back everybody now much slower than I used to because the volume is getting obnoxious. But, but I, I think that way too many people take things for granted. I think I got very, very lucky by being an immigrant and by understanding, you know, you know, I lived in a, in a studio in Queens considerably smaller than this space with seven family members and my great-grandma was completely psychotic. <laughs> and so I'm very grateful in a lot of ways. So thank you so much for coming here tonight. I appreciate it. Um, so I wrote this book, Crush It. Um, and uh, I wrote it, you know, I've started really tapping in. You know, I'm always thinking, you know, about myself and looking at myself and I'm starting to really realize what I'm about and a little bit more than I did maybe even six months ago. I've realized why I wrote this book. I feel an obnoxious amount of responsibility. I feel like I got really lucky. You know, I really won the DNA game. You know, I don't feel like I'm so special. I mean, everything, you know, branding. You know, everybody's like, God, you really understand branding so deeply. You know, what did you read? Where did you go to school? How do you get this? You know, one funny thing that many of you might know is I've never read a business book in my entire life. <laughs> not, not one. Not, not a one. You know, I've never read Seth Godin or Malcolm Gladwell. Or, by the way, when I was writing this book, I was like, <laughs> I really want this book to be huge. I'm very competitive. It's got to be big. It's gotta, I got to sell a billion of them. It's got to be the number one book of all time. So like, let me pay attention to the people that have written big business books. It blows my mind that so many of the top selling business books in the last 10 years are written by people who didn't build a business. <laughs> Completely blows my mind. Now I get it, you know, because a lot of my success in business does come from the psychology of it, but it's fascinating. I would never, you know, I'm such a guy that believes in being in the trenches and living it, I could never, ever take a journalist's approach to business that hardcore. So that was kind of fascinating to me. But what I know is this is that I got really lucky. And where I really got lucky was not only necessarily my DNA and not necessarily my upbringing, the fact that I was lucky to you know, be an immigrant and come here and have nothing, but I got really lucky because I got a very, I, I was born to a very special mother. 
really, 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 really special. And the self-esteem that my mom instilled in me is such a core to my success today. It is the foundation. You know, it's really scary when I start thinking back. I can tell you something that's pretty outrageous. When I was 15, now let's all understand 15 is now sophomore year of high school. You're not a little kid. When I was 15, I fundamentally, completely, with every ounce of my soul, thought that I was the best looking, smartest person on earth. <laughs> I swear, I know you're laughing, I mean it with, I mean like completely, I was like, I'm that guy. <laughs> and for my mom to do that for me is a big deal. And I've come to realize, the reason I started my library TV was because I wanted to build wine self-esteem in this country. I really did. I was tired of people being scared of wine and being jerk offs to each other and thinking their friend Rob, who read The Wine Spectator once in a while, was the wine expert in the group. I wanted people to explore. How many of you in this room have had Chardonnay? Raise your hand. Good. I want you to raise your hand, don't be lazy on me. <laughs> How many of you have had Pinot Grigio? Excellent. How about Pinot Noir? Oh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> How about Tanat from Uruguay? One, two. How about Ebola Giada from Italy? One. How about Shinom from the Loire Valley? Six. How about Bandol? Seven. So you can see very clearly, we drink 11 varietals in the US. 10 before sideways. <laughs> there are hundreds, thousands even if you really break it down. And I just wanted to extend that story. I wanted to get people to trust their palate. It's not about the wine spectator Robert Parker or my palate, it's about your palate. It's not going to a wine store and buying wines based on shelf talkers or pretty labels. It's about ordering a different kind of wine each time. So on my little wine pitch today, if you want to know wine in any shape or form, if you have any ambition for that, I promise you, it's really easy. Here's what you do. One, you can't make a line in the sand after you have one Gewürztraminer and decide you hate Gewürztraminer. <laughs> Please have something 10 times before you cross out on the line. You don't meet a redhead in the street, don't like them, and then hate all redheads for the rest of your life. So please do that. Number two, if you make a commitment for the rest of the year, starting now to one calorie of 12 months, and never try the same varietal from the same place for a full year, you will be blown away how much you know about wine. You know, especially when you're in places like this where you get very hometown, and you start drinking Walla Walla, Washington State, Columbia, Red Mountain, and all of you are drinking more Washington State Syrah, and cabs over and over. It, you get into a, a pattern where you drink, oh, you like Pinot Noir, so you think you're expanding your palate by trying to get different producers Pinot Noir. The game is to try as many different kinds of wines as possible. And please do that, because I think you'll be stunned. Because if you're out at a restaurant, and you're like, well, I don't know what, you know, if you order a Gewürztraminer, or a Pinot Blanc, or a Petit Bordeaux, or you know, a wine from Baja, California, Mexico, You'll be expanding your palate, and you'll be in a shockingly different place. And I don't know if you know about this, but it's crazy. It's 2009 now, almost 2010. You can text yourself if you like the wine or not. It's not hard to carry out a flux. 
consideration. What I learned from that, and what I've learned now, why I wrote Crush It, like why did I go down this, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a product guy. I like building businesses. I'm not necessarily, you know, it's funny, you know, a lot of people are like, it's like you know, are you a motivational speaker now, and this and that. And I'm like, why am I gravitating towards this kind of stuff? Storytelling about opportunity. It's because I feel this sense of responsibility. I've come to realize that I think fundamentally, we don't have a lot of self-esteem in general. I feel like the thing that's really caught me is, the core of this book is this. It is my belief that so much has changed that every person in this room can build a business around the thing they like the most, period. Whether that's rock climbing, or pancakes, or cars, or wine, Everything has changed. Everything I believe was not possible three years ago. We have platforms, whether it's you know, WordPress or Tumblr or Six Apart products or Blogger. We have distribution, whether it's Two Mobile or Ping FM or you know, Blip.tv. We have hosting, whether it's YouTube, if you're doing video or written words. And now, and this is the important part, we have word of mouth marketing through things like Twitter and Facebook and other networks that allow us to go coast to coast from creation to marketing, direct to consumer with no filter, the internet itself is the single biggest underrated thing in our society right now. It is obnoxiously underrated. The modern internet that we all use and live in is 14 years old. It's only been 14 years since AOL spammed your actual mailbox. <laughs> it's only 14 years since you heard <laughs> It's you know it's crazy when you start like you know you know it's crazy the audacity to even debate if this platform is not going to beat the crap out of television and print and radio. It's insane, it's not even close. The fact that social media, which was referred to as Web 2.0 only 24 months ago, and which will be media in 24 months, the fact of the matter is this, everything has changed, that's it. And the biggest thing that's changed is your ability to go direct to consumer. The gatekeeper is fundamentally not in control anymore. You know, the editor of that magazine that had to decide if you were good enough or the producer of that show that thought, mm, your mole on your cheek is not gonna make you successful. That kind of bullshit, that game is over. When CAA signed me, now let's understand, CAA is the biggest talent agency in the world. I share representation with Oprah and David Beckham and Gio. Insane, stupid. <laughs> when they signed me, one of the partners came up to me and said, you know what's kind of funny, he's a big wine fan, and we were talking to this wine, he's like, if you came here a year ago and said, okay, here's my pitch. I'm gonna sit in my office in New Jersey. I'm gonna get a camera. The lighting and sound is gonna be straight shit. And I'm gonna put four bottles in front of me and I'm gonna tape an online show of me drinking those wines for a half an hour. We would have kicked you out of this room before you even got to the lighting and shit. That is what's important. What's important is I realize that I am not as special as some people think. 
What I realize is that there's a trillion dollars in advertising coming up in five years that not only wants, but desperately needs to spend it in hyper-local niche markets. Do you understand that if you're a guy or girl that's obsessed with ketchup, ketchup, that it is the biggest layup in my, in my mind to make $75,000 a year from Heinz for them to own the sponsorship of your content? Do you understand the cost structure that these brands are spending? You know, when I started looking at the average American income and started looking at compared to the market spend of consumer brands products or advertising, it started getting really interesting to me. When people are making 40, 50, 60,000 dollars a year and are upset and miserable, and brands are spending 50,000 bucks on insanity, insanity, like things you would not believe. Like, it's a hundredth of a second of a commercial at two in the morning for some reason. It is a big, big disconnect and a huge opportunity. And then you start factoring in this country. See, I've had the luck to see the world in a lot of different ways because I do business with a lot of Europeans in the wine business. You want to see an epic out-of-office reply? Try to send an email to a winemaker in July. It comes back saying, thank you so much, but I'll see you September 18th. I mean, they live differently. We work. I don't know if you guys checked last time, but by the time, by the time we work and we sleep, there's not that much left for us. So I'm kind of like, why are people not putting themselves in a position to be happy with what they do? The biggest thing that I could hope for you, besides health for you and your family, bar none, besides that, is for you guys to be in a position like I am, which is to wake up in the morning and be in complete control of what you do. That is a very special feeling, at least career-wise, you know, outside of family duties and things like that. That is a big deal. I grew up my whole life hating Sunday nights. Not because the Jets lost. <laughs> okay, three and three, come on. Know, but we were three and up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the right direction. We just lost the best defense. Let's not go. Sidetrack. Desperate. I'm sorry. Um, it's because I didn't want to go to school on Monday. And I never want to taste that feeling. And knowing that so many people live for weekends and live for their vacation breaks my heart. And I know that I'm loud enough, and I'm good enough at marketing, and I'm a voice that some people are willing to listen to, that I can shift it for some people. The game is changing. Now, I have no interest in everybody running out of this place saying, hell yeah, I'm quitting my job tomorrow. <laughs> I am the most practical. I am, you know, I am completely obsessed with paying your rent, taking care of your kids, mortgage, all that loans, all that good stuff. But, what I am passionate about is getting people to say to themselves, you know what, maybe I shouldn't play two hours of Nintendo Wii tonight. Maybe I don't need to watch Mad Men three hours a night. <laughs> Especially when I'm not happy with what I'm doing. For us to be in a position now where the consumption of our media, if I could get everybody in the world to take the consumption of media and shift it and create media around that passion, there's a lot of opportunity. Now, I don't know if ever, you know, everybody wants to end up being Oprah. Right? I want to be Oprah of the poor prince or whatever. You know, <laughs> tyrants and this and that. My debate is that this shift in media 
and platforms allows the world to have a crap load of Donahue's and Sally Jesse rapping out. <laughs> and I think that's very important to understand. Not everybody is going to build million dollar businesses because either they're not patient enough, which is by far what eliminates most people, period. The core of this book, you'll see when you read it, I talk quite a bit about patience. Ironically, for being such a hyperactive kind of character, I'm, a, I'm outrageously patient. Everything to me is a marathon. It's a long journey. You don't start a Twitter account and the Twitter genie comes out and gives you a million bucks. <laughs> you know, people were rolling up on me in 08 and 07 saying, I, I, I created a Twitter account. I was like, what do you want, a cookie? I mean, you know. <laughs> and, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and Ustream and all these platforms, they're tools. They're the marker and the eraser and the fax machine. It's how you use them. And the way you use them, in my opinion, going forward, is one way, to care. See, I'm in the belief that we are now living in the customer service era of commerce. I actually believe that every one of you, right now, if you're in business, is in one business, the customer service business. And whatever you do second is a nuance. And that's why I was able to build a big brand. Because when everybody wanted to talk on Twitter and pump out content, I listened. And that is the differentiator today. Because if you care, you have to understand that every consumer in the world has so much more word of mouth power than they did three years ago, it's not even funny. And every business is built on word of mouth. Every one of them. And in a day and age when people have followers and friends, and communicate the way they do today, we are living in a society that's based completely on word of mouth on steroids, and that excites me, because good wins. It's as simple as that. And so, you know, all these shifts are happening. How many of you in this room know what Boxy.com is? B-O-X-E-E. -E. So, I don't know if Boxy ends up being Friendster, or ends up being Facebook, but what I know is that it's going to win. Boxy is basically a substantial competitor for cable television. Hmm. See, I, I personally believe that cable television is well on its way to being done in the way we know it. There will be some winners left over, but here's how cable television is sold. If we go downstairs to the wine bar, and the, and the, uh, the bartender or the wine store downstairs is the cable industry, and you order a glass of the red wine, she would say, that's great. Thanks for ordering the Amarone at $15 a glass, not 75 <laughs> <laughs> But you need to buy every single glass on the menu, and that'll be $437. That's how cable is sold to us. I am personally pissed that I pay $9 a month for lifetime. <laughs> and some of you should be pissed that you're paying $7 for ESPN and $19 for MTV and da 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 da. We live in an a la carte society. It's how we're buying our music, it's how we want to buy everything. And I believe that you will be walking into your home in five years. You'll take your handheld, whatever the phone of the moment is. You'll have some sort of search page and you'll type in flowers or wine or coffee, or tea, or gambling, or pumpkins. And you'll get results, and that will be search results for the best shows on that subject matter by popularity. 
click one button and you'll start watching that on your TV. And hopefully when you type in wine, wine on your TV will be first, and you watch like that. That's where it's going. And once that becomes mainstream, in a half a decade to a decade, once TV changes, we've got a totally different game to play from a branding standpoint. You know, a lot of people were confused why Seinfeld didn't beat out MASH and why the numbers were so soft. I was thinking about this the other day. I remember why I didn't watch it, though I watched a lot of Seinfeld. It was because it was one of the early nights that I found out about eBay. And I was eBaying. Yes. And I wasn't watching Seinfeld. That's what's happened. There's no more Who Shot JR. No more MASH. Water cooler moments are going to change quite a bit. The fragmentation of eyeballs is going to be severe. There's 100,000 people there that watch Mario Mario TV. That is 100,000 people that watched something else on television three years ago. It's a major shift, and advertisers are in one business. The eyeballs business. And they go where the eyeballs go. And it is my firm belief that if you are passionate enough about a subject matter, if you love it, that you will then put in the hours at first after work from 9 p.m. to 2 in the morning. But as you scale that business, eventually you'll be able to afford to either take a part-time job or quit outright or whatever it may be. Or if you love your business, creating this culture within that or the people you work with. But the fact of the matter is this. There is a huge opportunity in this changing eyeball economy. There is a massive shift of culture. How many of you remember, you know, crowd here, it's not a bunch of 19 year olds, so we should have a lot of people that will raise their hand. How many of you remember, like I do, that you could be driving on the highway 20 or so years ago, and the person driving in front of you when they were done with their McDonald's threw the garbage out the window. <laughs> right? Driving, coke done. Remember? How many of you remember the cashier at Bradley's, I don't know if you have that here, that's Jersey, was smoking when they were bring you up. <laughs> How many of you remember that when the kids got out of line at Toys R Us, that mom whacked the shit out of them? <laughs> Here's what I know. We massively underestimate culture shifts. If you were to see any of those three things happen today, you would be shocked and appalled. You would, you would take massive notice. Culture shifts happen, and we are living through such a technology transformation. Why in the world would you buy a bus stop ad when every person on that bus is looking down at their handheld device? Why would you pay the prices that these platforms like magazines and newspapers want to charge based on eyeballs from six years ago. You know, we are going through culture change and within culture change is enormous opportunity but the biggest difference this time is that back then, companies had the opportunity. Today, because of complete direct-to-consumer opportunities, you have the opportunity. That's freaking awesome. The fact of the matter is this. We can all now go up and tap the plate at Yankee Stadium and get a swing. Every one of you, right now, can have a swing at the plate. I have no idea if you're gonna strike out three pitches or hit one 580 feet. I just don't, I don't know your work ethic. 
I don't know your skill set, I don't know your ambition, but the fact that you have a shot is something that's not being talked about. Not enough. Not when it's this serious. Not when there's as much money that's coming to those hyper niches as there is. And I'm awfully excited about it. 